the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, you guys, this is Morgan Zeckers. Thanks for tuning into the show. I appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, okay? We do these episodes three times a week. I love talking to you. I love breaking down the current events. And most recently, I've been loving sharing my lessons learned from my trip from Israel. I got so many questions that I'm going to have to continue to break it down and answer them as much as I can. And that's why now that I've landed back in America, I've been looking at some of the submitted questions and I'm going to answer them today on the episode. All right. So I'm excited. Thank you again. Subscribe. Okay, let's get into it. And actually, before I answer the first question, I want to remind you guys, please go to my Instagram, okay, at morgan.zeggers, and you'll see my tutorials. I've posted two now on how I use my Vara Safety, my Reach 2S. It's the hybrid between the safe and the holster, so it looks like a sleek holster, and it's screwed into a sturdy piece of furniture in my bedroom, and people put them in their living room or wherever they prefer. There's also a car version, and you're able to pull your gun from the holster, but it acts as a safe. So there is a biometric sensor on the holster that aligns naturally with your thumb as you pull from the holster, and the holster only unlocks when an authorized thumbprint is placed on the sensor, okay? It's very safe. It's a great solution, especially for families. I've really been loving mine. I wanted you guys to know about this, and so that's why I keep pushing this really, really hard. I believe in this product, and it's a great solution for a lot of people who have been looking for a solution just like this. Now, they're also made in America, and they're from upstate New York, so I think that's awesome. But we're talking reliability, safety, security, and immediate access here, okay? It's top-notch. It's always out of stock because people want them very badly. So now, this week, they went back in stock. So they are now available, but they won't be available for long. You get me? Go to varasafety.com, V-A-R-A safety.com. So I thought a fitting first question to answer would be this one. Somebody said, what's the best place to find unbiased news regarding the conflicts around Israel? Now, here's the thing. This is a controversial topic, and it's so convoluted, and it's multifaceted. There's so many factors. In my personal opinion, and I think a lot of other people would say this, first of all, when you're entering a political debate, and it is hotly contested, right? It's a hot issue. You want to be able to argue the side that you are going up against. You are not going to be able to effectively make the case for your side unless you, first of all, on the inside, in your heart, in your mind, understand where your opponent is coming from. And then second, can literally make the case for your opponent's argument. I think that's the best thing. And in a situation like this, that is crucial. So please do not just find one source, one unbiased news source, because first of all, I doubt any news source on a topic like this is going to be unbiased. It's one of those topics. You get me? The second thing is that it's not just a religious issue over the Holy Land. It's not just a current events, international affairs issue where some countries can't get along. It's not just a political issue or a geopolitical issue. There are so many factors 
So I would recommend, and I hope this is a good kickoff for you and really shows you like how crazy the situation is. I would recommend learning the history of the country, of the land. And that starts back 3,000 years ago when the Jews were guided to that location, the chosen land by God. He sent his chosen people to go procreate and and, uh, populate the land. And then 3,000 years later, look where we are now. It's now one of the most important places for the three main religions in our world. Muslims, Christians, and Jews all deeply value this land, some for the same reasons and others for completely different reasons, because the stories literally have the same characters in them, but different versions and and different spinoffs, if you will. (laughs) It's crazy. So when you think of religion, think of how, if you're religious or if you know people who are religious, think of how deeply passionate they are about their views. To religious people, it is fundamental. It is everything to them. Now, when you deeply tie a location and holy sites to the religion and to how those people live their lives, it's no surprise that when three major religions all value the same locations, things get crazy. So one of the evaluations from our tour guide was basically like when you're learning about Israel, when you're learning about the issues, you need to ask yourself, where am I going to enter the story in my evaluation? Am I going to take it all the way back 3,000 years ago when the people first came and the story first begins? Or am I going to only consider the modern politics of it? Am I going to consider when it was like a little territory colony of Great Britain and then They gave it up because it was so controversial that they said, you guys handle it. And so now it's modern politics and arguing all in the 19th or the 1900s in the 20th century. When do you begin evaluating? Because you could start three years ago or you could start in the last 200 years and it's going to be crazy no matter what. So when we evaluate a situation like this, I highly suggest you look at the history of the land, the full timeline starting 3,000 years ago, with why the Jews feel deeply ancestrally and religiously connected to the land, because they believe that God placed his chosen people, them, on the chosen land that is now Israel. You could also look into why Christians and why Muslims also value different sites in the region, in the area. I mean, for me, Christians, I got to go to Capernaum. I got to see Mount of Olives. I got to see the Garden of Gethsemane. I got to see where Jesus walked from that garden where he's seized by Judas and the mob all the way to where he was walked into Jerusalem, where he was put on trial, where he was sentenced to crucifixion, and then where he was crucified. And the specific location is, you know, obviously hotly contested right now, but it's all within a a half mile location, right? Debating where it exactly took place. So, Really big things happen here for each religion, and understanding the history of those religions and those timelines is important, but you also have to consider the the world politics that are now taking place. So I suggest you then look at what has happened and why it's happening all right now. That's what's really special to me, is if you look at the religious timeline of the chosen land, the chosen people, and then they were spread out around the world for so long, now we are living in such a crazy time that after thousands of years, 
the Jews are put back into the Holy Land. Israel is now a a country. And it's, I can't express enough to you guys of how crazy and special and important that is the fact that we are living in the time of the recreation of that Jewish state. That is not just a small factor. There's something to be said about that. And that we get to live during such a time is also crazy. So when we see the the current modern politics of the day, that's a whole other level of evaluating it because you have other factors. I mean, I one of the crazy things is too, uh, Israel, to add to the mess, Israel just found a bunch of natural gas and they're tapping into it. And that's going to lead to a whole other slew of factors because guess who wouldn't have to rely on Russia for gas if Israel became the provider? I mean, the the many, many factors here from the economy, the politics, the geopolitics because of the location, all of it's fascinating. And then you add the religion on top and whoa. So I really encourage you to do your deep dive and understand how valuable this location really is to so many different groups of people. And then you can kind of understand why when you hear the squad freak out or when you hear conservatives freak out or when you hear other people on the other side of the world freak out, it, I have a greater level of respect for the passion for this issue. That being said, let's move on. So someone said, what is your favorite part of being in Israel? What was the most impactful? I would say for me as a Christian, even though I was there on a trip that was supposed to educate us on the politics, the uh, development of the country, the need for um, ties between our country and their country, all these different things and the religion of it. I, you know, I can't deny the fact that my favorite part of it was seeing the sites where Jesus walked. I mean, we got to literally go to the Holy Land. It was wild. I mean, the first, first we went to Jaffa. And then we went um, up to Megiddo, which is the Valley of Armageddon, where the first ever human battle that's documented took place. In the Bible, it says that the last ever battle will also take place there, the Valley of Armageddon. But we're standing there on top of Megiddo, and I, I'm getting a lot of questions. I'm looking down on the question submission thing, too, and a lot of people are asking, like, did, did you feel something when you were there? Was it just really special when you got to go to the holy sites? I remember standing on the valley of Armageddon's uh, fort, which is Megiddo, looking over the valley and the tour guide just casually, he kind of perfectly sets it up, right? He's telling us about the valley. He's telling us about all this stuff in the Bible about it. But then he says, I want you to look across the valley right now. Do you see that town that's over across the valley on the ridge of the mountain or on the kind of like the bottom of the mountain? And we're all like, yeah, we see it. And he goes, that is Nazareth. And (laughs) it's like, that was the first moment I think that was day two. That was the first moment where I just like, you know, you, you breathe in and you're like, oh, you have to like catch your breath because that was the first tie to one of the places that we've always heard about. You know what I mean? Jesus of Nazareth. How many times have I heard that voice? How many times have you heard that voiced out Jesus of Nazareth? And then you're looking and you, you're randomly looking at a, a city across the valley and then you're told that's, that's Nazareth. So that was that first connection. From there, we were going to the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus walked on water. It's where Jesus in Capernaum, which is a a town on the Sea of Galilee, it's where he gave 
so many important lessons to his disciples. It's where he gathered his disciples and it's where he taught them to be fishers of men. He says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. And then there was also um, the Sermon on the Mount. And (laughs) to see those places was just a level of special that I cannot communicate. So that was so incredibly special. Then we traveled around, traveled around. We went up to the border where we saw Syria, Lebanon. We saw Hezbollah um, outpost right in Lebanon, just looking down on us. That was really cool. But we went from there down to Jerusalem. And keep in mind, you guys, this is a small place. Like it's smaller than New Jersey. And so in the Bible, it's like we hear all these traveling uh, stories and these trips and Jesus goes up to mountains and uh, Sea of Galilee seems like some big sea. Sea of Galilee is literally like a lake. And the mountains, the like Sermon on the Mount, it's a hill. Now, of course, the land has gone down quite a bit over the last 2000 years, but still it's a hill. (laughs) So it was really cool to visualize that. But then even just the distance, it makes a lot more sense now how when Jesus was resurrected, he's, and he's like, meet me in Capernaum at the Sea of Galilee. Hey, it's, it's actually pretty, not, not simple. It's not easy, but it's more manageable to imagine now how the disciples could have literally just gone up to Sea of Galilee to Capernaum uh, when Jesus told them to just three days after that stuff all happened. So it was really cool to be able to put the pieces together of how possible a lot of these things were. And that was really special to me too. Getting to Jerusalem though was a whole other level. Now, like I was mentioning earlier, the the locations of specific things are hotly contested. So the specific location of the crucifixion, for example, and the tomb, not officially known, but Christians way back when built a church on top of the location that a majority of architects and people who study history and Christianity believe the crucifixion and the burial took place. So you can see that it's the most supported location. So our tour guide gave us a a good breakdown of like, you guys, this is in terms of location, this is an A plus site. That means that it absolutely happened here. So like when we went to the Temple Mount, Jesus taught on the Temple Mount. He was on the Temple Mount. When you hear him at the temple in Jerusalem, we are physically there. We're able to say, this is the place. He was here. He walked up these stairs. But then at the same time, he would be like, okay, so this one though is like a sea site. <laughs> and that helps us understand, okay, like it, based on the Bible, based on the versions, based on the evaluation and the archaeology, it probably happened here. Um, so to me, the A sites were very, very special. And it just was a level of special, like I said, that I can't really communicate. But even the C sites, even the one like the church on top of the so-called or the so-claimed location of his death and resurrection, even that, it it feels very, very special. And so there's also a garden tomb where I think about 3% of archaeologists have said that they believe is the location, but it's more of like a, a replica, if you will. So it kind of looks more accurate and you can walk in and see it and stuff. And so people kind of go there to be able to visualize it, but it's not exactly an accurate location. That being said, it all happened within somewhere in that half mile based on uh, very accurate evaluations of the entire location of Jerusalem because it happened outside the city walls and for multiple other reasons. But that's to help you visualize. When you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the church built on top of the supposed location, 
that just takes your breath away. And so that was really cool. I guess to answer the question of the most impactful, all of the locations and seeing that all of the places and really doing the journey from Nazareth up to Sea of Galilee, down to Jerusalem, kind of in the fashion that Jesus did was really special. To me though, on the last day, I woke up at five-ish. I got my really pretty dress on that I bought in Israel. I made a little investment, right? I bought a little Jerusalem dress and I put that on. I got all done up and I sprint my little booty before the sun even rises down into the old city of Jerusalem, which was maybe like a quarter mile. I sprint down. I get to the Jaffa Gate, which is the entrance to the old city walls that were there when Jesus was there. And then you go through the Christian quarter, you make a couple turns, and you arrive at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is the location of, like I said, the death and resurrection, supposedly. And I'm walking around it. It's it's just wonderful. It's beautiful. And in my ear, this is hilarious, I had my little headphone in my ear the whole trip, and I was playing my Sunday playlist. If you guys know this, I, I made my country music, my classic country, and my Sunday playlist, and my Homestead Morning playlist public on my Spotify, Morgan Zeggers, if you guys want to listen. And every Sunday when I'm going to church and after church, I listen to my Sunday playlist. So I listened to that walking through the old city streets of Jerusalem on the way to the church. And then I listened to it with it in my ear when I was in the church. And it was just so special. Again, the sun is like barely rising at this point and they let me in. So I am basically alone in this place other than a few other people. And I just kind of walked around, meandered around. (laughs) And we had gone on an official tour of that place a couple days before, but I am now there alone and everything's kind of open. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I just continued to adventure and I walk back and back and back into the church and then down this flight of stairs. And it basically brings you to this, uh, the basement, you're underground. And it's this quiet place and there was a cross and the walls are rock. Like it, it's, it's like carved into the ground. And then you can kind of see half of it is the man-made ceiling of the church. And so I'm just kind of there like, what is this? And I was trying to do the calculations of above because above they say, this is where he was placed on the cross. This is where the cross was put into the ground. This is where his body was prepared on the stone. And a lot of women actually had um, their cross necklaces or their cross jewelry. Like I have my cross necklace and then I have the Jerusalem cross, which I'll tell you about in a second. They place their jewelry on or their Bible on the stone that they say his body was prepared on before going to the tomb and they pray over it. And then they keep that as, as heirlooms for their future family members. And I thought that was really special. So I did the same, but I was trying to calculate of like, where is this cave that I'm in in correlation to the sites that I saw above in the actual building of the church. And I'm just sitting there. And then this, this woman was down there. I think she worked at the church and she was sitting there in silence praying. And another person came down and asked her what this room was. And so I lifted my head up because I had been writing in my journal, just sitting in the corner and it was silent and I was there for like an hour and I just felt so, so impacted by the presence. And so I stayed there. And finally, this woman comes and asks somebody in the corner and I can kind of eavesdrop. Okay. Yes, I eavesdropped. And the woman says, this is the, the rock. This is the ground where they, they claim that they left the cross. This is where they they claim they found it a very long time ago. And you know what? 
I've heard a lot of people say this. It's like when you get there in Jerusalem, a lot of people also ask this in the questions. Did you feel a, a sense of the spirit in Jerusalem? When you were in that, when I'm in that room, if you were there too, it's a feeling. You, you don't have to know if it's an A site. You know, maybe they didn't find the cross in that cave under that church. But it sure felt like it. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. And so being able to eavesdrop and hear that that's the apparent purpose of that room and that I had just been sitting there because I felt something and I stayed there for a long time. And at that point, it's like 637. It was something special. And I hope you get to go there too one day. Now let's move on. Somebody asked, have you seen The Chosen? If so, what do you think? Yes. So I've actually been trying to get my parents to watch The Chosen and they did it. So what was really cool to me is especially going to Capernaum because that's the location of, you know, in The Chosen, if you aren't familiar with Christianity, kind of like my family is like we aren't, I didn't grow up in a very religious family. And so I've been trying to just show my family that kind of stuff. When we were watching The Chosen, we got to see um, Jesus and he does the Fishers of Men moment on the show. And that happened at Capernaum. And so it was really cool for me is I, you know, I didn't want to be like influencer in Capernaum, but I was trying to take pictures and videos of the location and then send that back to my family. And it was really cool to be able to share those specific locations. And so I've got to say the chosen is such an important thing to me because it really does help you visualize. And I would say it seemed very accurate compared to what I saw when I was there myself. So somebody asked, what's the situation there with COVID-19 restrictions? They say, I thought their policies were strict. Um, to be honest, I don't know. Maybe they were strict um, at the time. I can't remember. I get all the countries confused with what the heck, who was doing what. But I've got to say, I am not vaccinated and I went to Israel. Okay. So if you were concerned that maybe they required the vaccine or anything, no, uh, I'm not vaccinated and I got in just fine. And then when we got there, there was no um, social distancing or masks or anything weird. So I actually forgot about COVID. And then I saw this question and said, oh, geez, I guess, I guess they're over it too. All right. Before we go on to the next question, I want to remind you guys that you can use code MORGAN on mypillow.com to get a big discount. Okay. They are having their biggest sheet sale specifically of the year. You have all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. And now Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. So the Percale and Giza Dream Bed Sheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are now all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code MORGAN. Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. So order now because when they're gone, they're gone, all right? The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable. They have a cool, crisp feel, and they come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Do not miss out on this, you guys. Use code MORGAN. There is a limited supply, so be sure to order now. I love mine, and like I always say, I love my slippers. I literally wear them as I podcast. But you can call 1-800-738-8374 and use promo code MORGAN or mypillow.com. Click the radio listener square and use promo code MORGAN. All right. So next question. Now we're getting to the spicy ones, right? So um, somebody asked, why is Israel constantly getting attacked by all of the Middle East? That's a good question. <laughs> now, I am not going to give you a full rundown of the history and the, the politics of the region and the wars of the region. But what's important to understand 
is that this is an important area to multiple different religions. The surrounding Arab states do not want Israel to exist. One in five people in Israel are Arabs. Now, for the most part, they're fine with it. What's crazy, if you look up the statistics of Israeli Arabs in that country, they are some of the most educated, some of the most successful, some of the most free, and some of the happiest Arabs in the world. And they are fine with living as they are. When Israel officially became a country in 1948, they said to anybody there, anybody that still considered themselves a Palestinian because it was technically a territory under the control of Great Britain, Palestine is a name actually given to the region to disassociate the Jews from the area because they believe that they were religiously tied to the land. They caused a bunch of problems to the Romans. And I believe in AD 70s, let's say, the Romans said, okay, we're destroying your temple because you keep causing problems and we want to control you. And not only that, as a big F you, we're going to rename this area Palestinia. Why did they call them that? Because the Jews had a longtime enemy, the Philistines, and the Romans wanted to detach the Jews from their own land. And so they said, here's a big F you. We're going to call your country. We're going to change the name to the name of your enemies, the Philistines. We're going to call it Palestinia. Later on became Palestine, but Palestine had never become a place before. It was never an official country and never had an official government or anything. It was just controlled, controlled, controlled by the Ottoman Turks. In World War I, they lost that land to Great Britain. Great Britain just called it Palestine as like a territory name because that was kind of like the area. So we were described to it as, like, think of the Rocky Mountains, it's the Rockies. So it's like, it's a region. It's the, the south of America, for example. Like, you're from the south, you're a southerner. But you're an American, and you can also consider yourself a southerner. So the Palestine was a, a location, a geographical location, if you will. So in 1948, when Israel officially became the country in the area that was Palestine, there was a lot of controversy. So Israel said to any of the Arabs that were living there, like, hey, a lot of Jews have been completely displaced. World War II just happened, right? You are welcome to stay. We hope that you stay. And you could be citizens. You could be anything you want, okay? You're welcome here. But the five surrounding Arab states, Arab countries, and others, the leaders of the Arabs said to the Arabs inside of Israel, get out, leave that country because we're going to invade. In one day after 1948's declaration that Israel was a state, five Arab nations invaded Israel with the intention to wipe it off the map. They do not want it to exist. And from there, for decades, there was fighting and fighting and fighting. It's been controversial for a very long time, right? What's sad is that they want it wiped off the map. So when you hear uh, Palestine from the river to the sea, it means that, that you know they don't want Israel to exist, right? It, the river is the Jordan River, which is the border of Israel. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea, which is on the other border of Israel. So they want it gone. When we talk about why is it constantly getting attacked, it's not necessarily because you know the, the people on the inside of Israel are upset. They're actually preferring to live in Israel. It's the people on the outside. It's, it's other international forces that don't want this place to exist. 
And so that's something to keep in mind. If you're ever interested, look at the statistics of the success of Israeli Arabs. Somebody also asked, why can't we all just be religious cousins and be happy about it? I mean, come on. (laughs) So now if you're familiar again, like I said, I want you guys to start with the 3000 year history of that area where the Jews believe God sent them to that land as their chosen people, his chosen land, chosen people put together. They are ancestrally tied to the land. Now, bring in Christianity, for example. You'll start to have that first layer of, uh uh-oh, we got some problems, and that eventually led to the Crusades, right? There's many reasons why Jews are not liked, but something that does need to be addressed between Jews and Christians is the fact that for a very long time, and it's much less so now, Jews were called Christ killers. Why is that? Well, it's because when you look at the story of Jesus, the Jews believed he was lying about being the Messiah. Jews believe a Messiah will come. They just do not believe it was Jesus. Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jews believe Jesus is a guy who was lying about being the Messiah and that we believed him. Another important aspect of this is what was Jesus's message? Jesus said, the Jews, especially, this is in The Chosen, if you guys haven't seen The Chosen, this helps like really simplify it. Jesus said, what you are doing, he was talking to the Jews because Jesus was a Jew. He was talking to the Jews and the Jewish leader and he said, you have become obsessed with the religion and you have forgotten the faith. You are obsessed with following ritual and tradition and pattern and you have completely abandoned the whole purpose of what this was all supposed to be about. Now, if you're a Jew, would you like to hear that? (laughs) No. And so as Christians, we were like, oh, so the New Testament is God's new covenant with us. He sacrificed his son because we are imperfect beings, and we are so thankful for that, right? It's his sacrifice. It was done for us because we are imperfect, because we're sinners, and we are really only made right because of God and his sacrifice of his son, but Jesus is God in human form. But to Jews, they are like, okay, Jesus is a guy lying about being the Messiah and the Messiah hasn't come back yet. <laughs> so it adding to that, it's like, all right, now how did Jesus go out? Was it the Romans saying, we hate this Jesus guy, he's got to go? No, it was the Jewish leaders saying, we need to get rid of Jesus. They were the ones who The mob captures Jesus, like I said, at the Garden of Gethsemane. They bring him to the Roman area for trial, to the Roman leaders, and they say, this man needs to be crucified, needs to be held accountable. And the Roman leader, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher this in, in a very simplified way. The Roman leader says, why do I, why does he need to die? <laughs> it's like, well, what do you mean? And the Jewish leaders push for it. And then once again, you have the crowd of the Jews and the Roman leader says, "Um, I'm going to give you an option. Do you want to kill this criminal or do you want to kill Jesus? I'll let you pick one that gets saved. And the crowd says, crucified Jesus. So when you have that kind of stuff, there's going to be some controversy, some differences in how people interpret these situations. Was it the bad leaders at the time that are responsible or is it the Jews as a whole? And so unfortunately, that is why you saw that trend of of Jews being called Christ killers for thousands of years. Because of that as well, Jews have been very mistreated by Christians. 
And so they have taught their youth to not like Christians. But now, after 2,000 years of this, we have the state of Israel. And in my opinion, and in, you know anybody that looks at this, the state of Israel relies on the support of Christians. So it's bringing these two sides together, even though there was a lot of contempt. The Crusades, I mean, geez, the Holocaust. It, there's a lot of crazy stuff that's happened. But you see the forming of a bond in terms of Judeo-Christian values and the understanding that to protect the Holy Land from people that want to destroy it completely, you have to have this, this partnership. And so I believe that that's why they, they see someone like me who is going to Israel to be completely moved by seeing the sites where Jesus walked. And they know that this young Christian woman is going to be so moved and hopefully will support the maintenance of the state of Israel, politically, geopolitically, all of the reasons. And they hope to create allies in us. And I respect that. And I see that. And so I want you guys to know how special that is because for 2000 years, that wasn't the case. And for the first time ever, you're seeing Jews trust Christians and you're seeing that vice versa. Now, what's really interesting, Muslims, the the religion of Islam didn't come around for hundreds of years after Christ. So put yourself, I'm going to mess up this date. I think it's around 600 or 700 AD. You see the rise of the Ottoman Turkish Empire. They take out the current people who are who are in charge of Jerusalem and they are in charge of Jerusalem they, they get to the temple mount which is the base platform where the Jewish temple once stood that Jesus said would be brought down one day that the Romans literally brought down in about 70 AD so the Jews no longer have their temple on the most holy sites the most holy of holy sites for them that happened in 70 AD And just so you guys know, their religion says that when the Messiah comes back, he will come to the Temple Mount and they will rebuild. They will build a third and final temple on the Temple Mount. But right for a long time, it was just a Temple Mount, that base platform. Then the Muslims come in hundreds of years later, where you've now had Jewish people and Christian people fighting and all that stuff over the Holy Land. The Muslims come and when they take control, they put a mosque at the corner side wall of the Temple Mount. It's a huge platform, multiple football fields in length and size. They put a mosque on the corner. But what did they put on the location of the temple itself, where it stood? They put the Dome of the Rock. If you guys think of the skyline of Jerusalem, what do you imagine? Most people imagine this this big building with the dome that's gold, right? That is the building. It's not even a mosque. That is the building put on top of the most holy Jewish site to all of Judaism. And it's not a mosque. That's something that people confuse a lot. It's literally a building. And I'm not sure what goes on in there, but it's not a mosque. And that's important to know. It was a big F you to do that, right? And they say that they have their own purpose for why they did it there, their own reason, their own significant thing that happened there. I believe they say that he rose up there. But the Temple Mount is a very controversial place. And that's I have a lot of questions I'm looking at right now, and we're not going to get to them probably, but a lot of the questions were about the Temple Mount. So now I think to close off would be a really interesting evaluation for me of what it was like to go there. And what are the situations there now? 
put yourself back to what I was saying about 1948, where, where Israel becomes the state. Then you also have a, a few years later, not a few years, but a handful of years later, you had another big push in the Six-Day War where Israel was attacked. And for six days, they decided to go all out. And they push up to the Sea of Galilee. They win over all of the Sea of Galilee. And they push down. And they that's why you have that triangle at the bottom of Israel. They pushed all the way down in a very forceful way to get connection to the Red Sea, which got them connection to Asia, which was very strategic. But they also got Jerusalem. And I can't remember what year that was, but it was in like the, the second half of the 20th century. But what happens as they're trying to negotiate what happens next? Because it's a holy site for many important religions in the world. This is hotly contested, but when Israel took control of Jerusalem, they make it to the Temple Mount in what I believe was a massive mistake, and many people will say this too, a weakness was shown. And the Jews, the Israelis, agreed to let the Arabs, the Muslims, still control the rules of the Temple Mount. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jerusalem is in Israel. It's a city in Israel. The IDF, as in the Israeli military, they police the Temple Mount now. They are in charge of security of the Temple Mount. They run it. But then in some show of an attempt to achieve peace, they said, we will still let the Muslims, because they have the Dome of the Rock on top of the Temple Mount, our holiest site, (laughs) which is not a mosque, we are going to let them set the rules for the Temple Mount still. What? So, now put yourself in Morgan's shoes going. Imagine you're going to Israel and you're a Christian, or you're a Jew. The Western Wall is so important, first of all, because a lot of Jews, it's it's practiced that it, they are very concerned about accidentally stepping on an important area of where the temple was. So a lot of them just don't go up. The closest they will go is to the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. So when you hear them pray, or when you see like Trump, he went and prayed there at Vanka and Jared Kushner, Kushner, Kushner bleh, they went up to the Western Wall and they put their hand there and they did the tradition of praying at the Western Wall because to to many Jews, that's as close as they can righteously get to their most holy site. They don't want to go up and accidentally risk it. But some Jews can go up. The Jewish leaders have warned them to not go up. And it's like you have to go through security and then go up this like ramp and then you get to the top of it. Now, my tour guide went with us and brought us up there. First of all, ankles. And everything up top must be covered. If you don't, they give you like a skirt to put on and stuff, like no slit where it could like accidentally show your ankle or anything. Your whole body must be covered. And these are rules set by the Muslims. You get up there. Guess what the big rule is? Even though the Temple Mount is in the city of Jerusalem in the country of Israel, and it's guarded and security, is it's all patrolled by the IDF, by the Israelis, the Jews. The rule is that Christians and Jews are not allowed to pray on top of the Temple Mount. Not in the Dome of the Rock or anything like that, but literally the entire Temple Mount. So I'm standing on the Temple Mount, you guys, and I'm looking out and I can see the Mount of Olives because it's literally right across the ridge. You like walk five feet down the valley and up the valley and 10 minutes in, you're boom at Mount of Olives at Garden of Gethsemane. You from that tower, see where Jesus was put on trial. You can see the church where he was 
crucified. You're standing there and you know that because of the decisions made by, in my opinion, weak leadership, and many people will say that, Christians and Jews are not allowed to pray. So they warn you before you get up there that you will be watched, that do not close your eyes for too long. Do not sway back and forth. Do not talk to yourself because any of these things could set off a major controversy. And any, how do I say this? Everything is so potentially hostile. Everything is so fragile on that location that any little potential wrong moment could set off quite a very serious string of consequences. And that was one of the most impactful things to me is how have we let that happen? So hearing of like, what do people think about this? A lot of people think that that was such a weak decision. A lot of people think it's time to change that. A lot of people wonder, why can't we just have respect for all of the religions? Why can't they just let us pray if it's the holiest or one of the holiest sites for all three religions? Why stop two of them from doing that? Other than to say, F you. There's a lot of big questions there. There are some more extremist groups in Israel, right? Every, every country's got some crazy people. There are some more extremist groups that say, you know what? We're going to cause problems and we're going to take this back. Others want a, a more military style approach to taking control back. But this is such a sensitive situation that it's really hard to move one way or another without major problems coming. And so I completely understand how this gets sticky fast, right? Now, this all is all making sense to me because I was just there for two weeks and I was able to visualize it and see it. If this was super confusing, I'm super sorry. <laughs> if this was interesting to you, please let me know in the review. If you have more questions, please send them to me and I'll keep, I have like literally, I went through one fifth of the questions. I'm sorry, guys. If you want to learn more about this, I highly encourage you to. And I'll close it off with the fact that I'm getting a lot of questions about how I, as a Christian, am going to support Israel as an American. Why do I support foreign aid? Why do I support the Jews controlling the Holy Land instead of the Christians? Why do I even support a random foreign issue like this? And I've got to keep it simple. I am not an expert in international affairs or anything like that. This is not me being like, oh, this is my great political international politics stance. No. I'm just saying that in my heart, when I saw the Holy Land, I felt something so special. And that is where Jesus walked. That is where God placed Jesus. Think about it. If God does everything so specially, so purposefully, why did he place Jesus and Mary's womb there? Why was Christ born there? Why did he teach all of his disciples and his messages to humans from God through Jesus to the humans. Why did he do that there on that land? And why was he crucified? Why was the sacrifice made there? Why was he resurrected there? It's, the land is important. To me, my faith also enters my politics. And this is not me saying I support foreign intervention in every country or democracy building or any of that crap. Absolutely not. But this is different to me. It's just different to me. And I, I hope that makes sense. Um, I know there's a lot of a controversy. I know I, I had some people message me and say that, you know, how dare I support the Jews controlling all of Israel? Instead, it should be the Christians. And I was like, what? 
to be honest, I I don't think we have a deep ancestral tie the way the Jews do because theirs is more about how God guided them to that land and did all these things specifically to the land and that they're all children of Abraham. To me, I think Christianity is a, a worldwide concept of a New Testament between God and all of his people. And so that's why I just never really considered of like, oh, I get I guess I never really thought about the Christians taking back the Holy Land and having another crusade. <laughs> so I, I got a, a bunch of messages about this, but it's really as simple as this. There's some people that want the Holy Land for Christians and Jews completely destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. The most precious locations to us, gone, eviscerated. And then there's the Jews and the Christians that want to preserve and protect this very special ground. And that's what I'm interested in. It's not like I'm all of a sudden saying America should send taxpayer dollars to Ukraine. <laughs> I think this is different. And I think that's the mindset that's healthiest for you and me to take on. All right. With that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Please subscribe. I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Bye-bye. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.